Good day, dear friends. We're continuing in our area of emphasis, which generally is titled, the overall title, Knowing God. And the specific topic for today is how the rebellion started. Now, the Bible begins with the words, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1 verse 1. Then there is a description of the preceding darkness. Verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Then the very next verse, Genesis 1 verse 3, says God spoke. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So the word of God entered into the darkness and transformed it. And there was light. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words give light. It gives understanding unto the simple. So right from the very beginning, from the creation of this world, God spoke and light entered. And as he continued to speak, order and harmony and beauty appeared. Millions of species and varieties of plant life and animal life instantly came into existence. The endless varieties of fruits appeared. The sun and the moon appeared as God spoke. In Psalm 33 verses 6 and 9 we read, By the word of God were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In other words, it appeared. And the scriptures tell us that on the sixth day, humankind was created. This was the crowning act of God's creative work. Mankind entered into an environment which was perfect in its pristine beauty and radiant with the light of God's presence. They were made in the very image of God, sinless beings, reflecting the glory of God in a sinless world. And they were made free creatures and given dominion or rulership over everything on the earth. They were free to think, free to reason, and to enjoy the bounties of a perfect creation, free to choose. Now, the freedom to choose is a hugely important attribute. It includes the freedom to choose to obey God and remain in love and loyalty to Him. But freedom is like a double-edged sword. Freedom is freedom, which means that the flip side was also a possibility. They also had the freedom to choose to reject their Creator, to turn their back on Him, to give their love and loyalty elsewhere. Remaining faithful to God, therefore, would require them making a choice to be faithful to Him. They were not made in such a way as if they were programmed to do whatever God said. No. This would be to make them no better than robots. And God does not desire robots. He made them in His image as creatures of love. Because God is love, the scripture says. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. God is love. And He gave them the capacity, the ability to think and reason because God is a rational being. He gave them the freedom of choice because God Himself is free. 
if he did not give them that freedom to choose, then love would be impossible because love requires freedom of choice. Let me illustrate. If a man puts a gun to a woman's head and asks, do you love me? What do you think she's going to say? She's going to say yes. But does she really love him? Not at all. She says yes because she's terrified of him. She's scared for her life. The simple fact is that because of its unique nature, love is not something that can be forced. It cannot be coerced out of a person. The only way that true love can exist is when it is freely given without force, without intimidation, without coercion or threat. That's the only way. These things can only get compliance. You can force somebody, they will comply, but they don't love. You can intimidate someone to do something, they will comply, but they're not doing it willingly. Even the compliance is an unwilling compliance, but it's not love. Love must be free, otherwise it's not love. Love is a pathway, dear friends, which has to be chosen. Love cannot exist outside of free choice. You can program your computer so that every time you turn it on, it says, Good morning, John or Mary or whatever your name is. I love you. But does that mean your computer really loves you? No, it doesn't. It says that because that is a recording. It is programmed by you to say so. It doesn't have the freedom to say otherwise. It cannot say, good morning, I don't love you today or I hate you, unless you yourself program it to say so. So when it says, I love you, it doesn't have a clue about love. It is a robot, just merely giving a a pre-programmed response. And so the reality of love is impossible for it to experience, because it's a robot. But God did not make us robots. He gave us freedom to choose. Obedience also must be given freely, motivated by love. Otherwise, it is not genuine obedience. If we obey God because we are afraid of what he might do to us, if we don't, then that is not real obedience. That is mere compliance, which is unacceptable. True obedience, just like true worship, just like true love, must be given freely from a heart of love and gratitude. Hence God says, If you love me, not if you are afraid of me, not if you are intimidated by me, not if you feel threatened by me, and not just because you want salvation, but if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 verse 15 So obedience is a test of our love for God. And because God is a being whose very nature is love, making creatures in his own image made it necessary for them to have the freedom to choose. Because only then would they be able to experience his love and to receive his love and to love freely, to reciprocate that love by loving each other and choosing to remain faithful to him in return. They had to be made free creatures. The Bible says faith works by love. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. But as I mentioned earlier, dear friends, freedom can be abused or misused. You can choose to go down the opposite road. To be free to love means you're also free to choose to be unloving. To be free to believe 
means you're also free to choose not to believe. To be free to trust and to obey means that there is also the possibility that you might choose to distrust and disobey. And that is what happened later in the Garden of Eden. That is where the darkness came in and hid the truth of the knowledge of God from the mind of human beings. That is where rebellion started. This is where the lies concerning the real character of God entered into the mind of mankind. And since then, it has been carried down from generation to generation through fallen human nature. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we're told, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now in verse 17 of the same chapter, we see that a prohibition was given to man. A restriction was imposed. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now when it says God commanded man, this was not some kind of imperious command, like in the sense of, don't do this, and if you do it, I'll kill you. No. This was instruction in love. This was saying, look, this is the way of danger. Don't go down that path, because if you do, it will bring harm upon you. That is what God was really saying. Also notice this. Notice that God gave man a wide range of freedom and one single restriction. The scripture says, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Every tree. But of one specific tree, you may not. So what they got was a broad scope of freedom and one single simple prohibition. And why even this one restriction? It was given to protect Adam. Adam was given dominion over the whole earth. He was king and ruler over it all. It takes a higher being to place a restriction on a lower being. It was a reminder to Adam that there was a being higher than himself to whom he was accountable, to whom he owed allegiance. It was a reminder to Adam that there was one who was the source of his existence and that he was not his own God and thus to protect him from rejecting God. And to the extent that he remained faithful to this prohibition, he was showing that he honored and acknowledged his creator above all else, above himself even. But to the extent that he would disobey his creator, in essence, he would be making himself his own God. And God wanted to protect him from a path that can only lead to destruction. Because to choose any other God, any other than the one true God, the only one who is the source of life, to choose any other is to choose to forfeit life. It's to choose death. Because if you're your own God, then you have to sustain your own self. And which man can do that? Which man can keep his breath going for a moment if God removes his sustaining grace? Now the devil understood this principle quite well. Having been banished from heaven, because of wanting to put himself in the place of God, he with his followers, the renegade angels now turned into demonic angels who sided with him, they came to the earth. You know, the apostle John in vision, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, he was shown certain things in vision. And he wrote, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Revelation 12 and verse 12. So the enemy came to this planet with the one purpose of corrupting mankind, thus defacing the image of God in man. The purpose was to enlist the human race on his side of the rebellion against God's government, against God's kingdom. And his plan was carefully crafted. Turning to Genesis chapter 3, we read from verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. In other words, crafty, deceptive, devious. And he said unto the woman, So notice this serpent is referred to as he. So the devil had taken on the form of a beautiful serpent to make himself enticing and speaking even. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice that he approached by using that one point of prohibition, that tree in the garden, the one restriction. And notice also how he tried to turn the word of God around. He well knew that God said you can eat of every tree except one. His question, however, was, did God really say you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? God had given broad freedom and one small restriction. But he started off by trying to suggest that God had given broad restrictions and no freedom. Has God said that you cannot eat of every tree in the garden? Those were the words of the enemy. Genesis 3 verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So instead of banishing the devil, disguised as a serpent, Eve decided to have a conversation. And in so doing, she set herself up for a fall. First, she added to the word of God. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. You will see that God had said nothing about touching the fruit. He only said, don't eat of it. She said, God says, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. So she added to God's word. In verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Now think about this. Let's explore this statement to see all that is in it. What is he really saying? If God says the day you eat, you will surely die. The devil says you shall not surely die. What is he really saying to them? God has lied to you. Why would he say such a thing? He's a liar. You cannot trust someone who lies to you. And if you're wondering why he told you such a thing, let me tell you why. Verse 5. The serpent continues, For God does know that in the day you eat of this fruit, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This is the devil's argument. He's saying, look, God has great power. He's able to create worlds and creatures to adore and worship him. But how do you think he came into such power? By doing the very same thing that he's trying to keep you from doing. He knows that the very moment you eat of this fruit, you shall be as gods. You shall be as exalted and powerful as he is. So he's selfishly trying to keep it for himself and to keep you from attaining to a higher state of existence. 
How can you be so gullible to believe that he really cares about your interest when he lies to you to keep you from becoming all you can be? You can be a god like he is if you eat of this fruit. That's the devil's mode, dear friends. And notice, dear listener, what Satan was going after. He's going after the mind. This was the ground of his attack. This was the battlefield, the mind. It is in the mind that we make choices and decisions. It is in the mind where we form characters of loyalty to God. It is in the mind where love dwells and is nurtured into faith, into trust and obedience to God. And so to get mankind to distrust and disobey and enter the rebellion with him against his maker, the devil's mode of operation was to poison the human mind by using lies concerning the character of God. To attack the character of God in such a way that man would no longer trust God, would no longer believe that God had their best interest at heart, so that they would end up cherishing fear and hatred against their maker. Now, God could have just stepped in at the very moment and just showed up, you know, and the serpent would have fled like the wind. But no, he gave them the freedom to choose, and he gave them the right instructions to follow, and he would not interfere in their use of that freedom. He would leave them free to exercise their choice. But choice brings consequences. Right choices bring positive results. Wrong choices bring bad results. And having given them the freedom to choose, they must be left to exercise that freedom. Because their love and their loyalty to God must be tested and proven. And so he must allow them to decide of their own free will whether to remain faithful or to rebel against him. Because if God were to prevent them from freely exercising their own choice in the matter, it would be the same as if he revoked or took back their freedom of choice. And that would be making them robots. But their loyalty must be tested in the environment of free choice. And they failed the test. Say there is someone that you know and respect who is very upright and of good moral character. But if someone who used to be close to them comes along and says to you, you think that person is all that good? Well, you're mistaken. I know some secrets about them that only a few people really know. And supposing they go on and on to tell you some supposedly bad things about that person, made up things. But as you listen, you will find that you start to think and feel differently about the person. As the words permeate your mind and take root, you will feel a loss of trust and a loss of respect for the person. And the next time you see them, you will feel quite differently about them. You will find it hard to relate to them the same way as before. Even if everything that was said about them was a lie. Because the mind was poisoned with the lies. So as Eve listened to the devious words of the serpent, and all that these words implied flowed through her mind, she began to feel different towards God. She started to view God in a different light. She began to distrust Him, to disbelieve His word, and thus she entered into rebellion against God. The next verse says, 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took off the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Dear friends, the rest is history, or rather the rest is our story. Adam being the head, as soon as he had partaken, he plunged into condemnation of sin, moral and spiritual death, total separation from God. Human nature became fallen, corrupted, destined for death and final extinction. Now he could only produce other sinful offspring in his own fallen image. In choosing to obey the word of another over their creator, they gave a higher position to that other over their creator. In other words, they chose another God. They chose to obey one who could not give them life or sustain their life, even for a second. And yet the goodness and mercy of God was shown right there at the fall. If God was really the kind of being that Satan had made him out to be in the mind of Adam and Eve, he would have just withdrawn his sustaining power and allowed the devil and this world and everything in it to go into complete destruction. If God was a vengeful, angry, destroying God, this would be the perfect time to let loose, to show his power and might, to just wipe out the whole lot of disloyal, ungrateful beings whom he had created, both fallen angels and fallen mankind. Why bother even let things go on and on all the way down to the point of God having to take on human flesh and coming to earth and going through a life leading to the shameful insults and sufferings and death of our Savior? Why bother with all this? Why not just wipe everyone and everything out and start all over again? After all, he had the power to do it, and no one can stop him, because God is all-powerful. If he decided to do so, who could stop him? No one. But no, dear friends. Yes, God did step in, but not to do as they expected, because that is not his nature. Adam and Eve, realizing that they had lost everything and that they were tricked, and being fearful of God's response, they ran to hide themselves from his presence. But God came to them and called out, Adam, where are you? There is no possible place to hide from God. But God asked, where are you? Not that he didn't know where they were, but because he wanted to engage them in dialogue, to give them the opportunity to acknowledge their sin, to confess and to receive repentance. He had come not with vengeance, but with forgiveness, to give them a second chance. They had rebelled against him, and sin brings condemnation, consequences which have to be satisfied upon the one who makes that choice. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And the scripture says in Romans 5.12, By one man, sin came into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all mankind because of sin. Bad choices brings harmful consequences. Yes, the wages of sin is death, and they had chosen to forfeit all life. But God wanted them to know that he himself would come and take upon himself human nature, that the seed of the woman would come and his heel would be bruised by the serpent, but he would bruise the serpent's head. Genesis 3 and verse 15. 
And by this, he was announcing the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. That the source of all creation, the ruler of the universe, would step down and allow himself to be rejected and mocked and scorned and tortured and crucified in a most gruesome way. And because of love for mankind, he would endure it all. And by his death, he would work out the redemption of the human race from sin. God is merciful and forgiving, dear friends. And even now, he invites everyone into his embrace to believe his word, to experience his love, and to be cured from all the lies that still plague the minds of most people concerning his character. Dear friends, sin came into this world as a result of lies which were believed concerning the character of God. Rebellion in your life, in my life, in any person's life, will only come to an end and complete trust in God be restored when and only when the truth about God is told and is understood and is believed. The truth about his loving, merciful character. God is not a tyrant, dear friends. There are many people, even many preachers, who make God out to be this angry tyrant. But that's a lie. And we're going to explore this some more. He's all-powerful, but he doesn't abuse his power to intimidate and to be tyrannical. He's not an angry God, dear friends. He's a merciful, loving, heavenly Father. So we'll continue to look into this subject, going into greater detail, even looking at certain parts of the Bible that is so hugely misunderstood concerning things which God supposedly did. So we'll continue in our next study. Until then, may God continue to bless and keep you all as he opens our eyes to a clearer understanding of who he is so that we may come to trust him more and to love him more and to worship him not from fear, but from love and thankfulness. Love you all. God bless.